God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today. Thank you so much for coming again. We realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there. So we bring the service to you wherever you are. And we hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and His promises for your life. Would you open in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1? That's where we're going to be today, and we'll also put those verses up here in the video for you, just to make it easier for you to follow along. Today, we're continuing in our Beginnings series based on the book of Beginnings, the book of Genesis. Hasefer Bereshit, as we say in Hebrew. Hasefer, the book, Bereshit, Beginnings. It's the book of Beginnings. And today, we're going to be talking about the creation of man. So we'll begin reading at chapter 1, verse 26, and we'll go all the way through chapter 2, verse 7. Let's read it together, shall we? It says in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over the, all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. And to you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life, I have given the green herb for food. And it was so. And then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now we're going over into chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Now next week we're going to be talking about this seventh day and Shabbat and we'll go on to continue the rest of chapter 2 after verse 7. Just wanted to let you know because we don't cover the Shabbat or the seventh day too much in this particular teaching today. But we're going to give it plenty of time next week. Don't you worry. And so it continues on and says, On the seventh day God ended his work which he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which he had created, which God had created and made. And this is the history of the heavens and the earth, it says in verse 4. When they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. 
But a mist used to go up from the earth, and it watered the whole face of the ground. Verse 7 then wraps it up for today. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of air, and man became a living being. Now we're going to discuss these verses. Just a little bit of a review about last week. We basically read the first part, the middle part of chapter 1, all the way from verse 2 up through verse 25, and it talked about God preparing the earth, preparing creation for this man that God was going to make in His own image. That was what we talked about last week. And today we're talking about the creation of man. Verse 26 is where we start. It's another hint at the nature of God, the unique nature of God. He's far above how we exist. If we think that He's like us, we're mistaken. He is different than we are as the heavens are above the earth. Yes, He made us in His image, but that means He made us in eternal spirit, like He is eternal spirit. What I'm saying is, is you were designed to live forever. You were created as spirit. You're kind of a hybrid. You know, today we have hybrid cars. They can't decide if they're electric or if they're gasoline. So they'll go back and forth and they have a motor for each. They have a motor that runs on electricity and they have a motor that runs on gasoline. And if you run out of gasoline, you can use the electric motor. And if you run out of electricity for the electric motor, you can use the gasoline motor. Well, kind of in that way, God made us a hybrid. Yes, we have a body of flesh with these, you know, ten fingers most of the time, most of us. Some of us, give or take one or two, I don't know. It depends on how careless you were as a child or maybe you were born with some, some sort of difference. And that's okay. The important thing is that God gave you a body to live in, but He also created you as an eternal spirit. And that eternal spirit doesn't have the problems that these physical bodies have as they get older and we have these aches and pains and we start walking funny. No, God gave us a spirit that will be perfectly healthy in the kingdom of heaven when we go and be with Him. We won't have anything that causes pain or sorrow or tears anymore. God's removed all of that in His kingdom when we go to be with Him. So you've got something to look forward to. In the meantime, here we are in these bodies. And we're walking around on the earth. And we're running and we're jumping. Some of us used to anyway. So, but some of us still do, you younger folks out there. But these bodies wear out. They get older. And just like an automobile, it eventually breaks and needs some repairs. But the spirit that's inside you, the real you, the one that's thinking, the one that's considering what I'm saying to you right now. That's the spirit that God put inside you. This thing right here that we walk around in is just a container. It's like an automobile. We drive around in it, but we are not that automobile. That's just something that we get around in for the time being until we get out of that and we get an upgrade, you see. So now we're talking about this unique creation that God made. 
in verse 26, he said, let us make man in our own image. Now stop right there. I want to tell you first what the Jewish commentator Rashi says. Now Rashi is really an acronym. You take the first letters off of the three parts of his name, Rashi, the R-A-S-H-I, or you could just call it R-S-H-I, Rashi, really stands for Rabbi Shlomo Itzchaki. Rabbi Shlomo Itzchaki. And he lived from 1040 A.D. to 1105 A.D. Now, he recognized that there was a problem that the Jewish people were having with verse 26 of chapter 1 of the book of Genesis. He recognized that when the Jewish teachers were debating Christians, the Christians would point out that in verse 26 of chapter 1 of the book of Genesis, God said, let us create man in our own image. That would seem to make the case for the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit as the three-in-one God that the Christians talked about. Oh, he was one God, yet somehow he existed in three persons. One God, but existing far, far higher and different than mankind existed. Is it possible for God to be different than you and I? Oh, yeah, absolutely it's possible. Have you seen the universe? Have you looked up at the night sky anytime, gone out in the dark areas away from the cities and looked up at the immense, wonderful creation that He's made above us, the things that He did? In fact, so much that Psalm 19 says the heavens above us. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament or the skies shows His handiwork. You know that I have a hobby in astrophotography and I spend a lot of time out under the night skies photographing the amazing things. And Now if you just walk outside for a little while, it's hard to really see a lot of stars in the city and when there's lights out there. and You have to walk around for a little bit before your eyes even get used to seeing in the dark. You just came in out of the light and now you're trying to look up and see the darkness of the skies and these not so bright, very faint stars when you look up. But if you give your eyes time, scientists say about 30 minutes, your eyes will get used to the darkness and you get away from the city lights and you look up and you go, oh my goodness, look at everything that is up there. And you know that each of those stars is like our sun, only very far away and Look at the millions and millions and millions of them and your mind just goes into eternity as you think about these things. You just cannot wrap your mind around all that. You cannot comprehend it. Well, the Christians were saying that when God said, let us make man in our own image, that they were talking about how that proves the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit existing as God together. One God, but somehow three persons together but still one God. Remember the Shema. Shema Israel, Adonai Elohinu, Adonai Echad. Listen up, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that's what we say every day for the Jewish people. And sometimes multiple times a day because that identifies that we believe in the one true living God who is creator of heaven and earth. And a lot of times some of the people 
Some of the, our Jewish brothers and sisters will say, well, those Christians, they believe in three gods, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. No. The Bible says for them what it says for you, and they believe in the Tanakh, the Old Testament, as you would say it in English, and also also the New Testament, as we said that in Hebrew and then English. They believe that both teach that there is only one God. The only difference is, is they believe that God is far higher than what you and I can understand. But a lot of people think of God as being like themselves. Well, I have two arms and two hands, so God must have two arms and two hands. God is really, really old, so he, he must have a lot of hair because no one cuts his hair. And because he's really old, his hair's got to be white. Yeah, you think of God like yourself, but he's not like you. He doesn't have a body like you do. He's different. He's higher than you are. He's higher than we are. He's beyond our understanding. Just like he said in the book of Yeshayahu Hanavi, Isaiah the prophet. He says, for my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts, says the Lord. As high as the heavens are above the earth are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts higher than yours. So you see, if God's ways and His thoughts, the thoughts of His heart, are so high that we cannot comprehend them, what makes you think that God is just like you? God is also higher, far higher, unimaginably higher, infinitely higher. As the heavens are above the earth, God is higher than you and I are. Can He exist and somehow be three and still one? Yes. He can. That's not hard for God, and that's how He exists. He's revealed Himself in these verses in the Bible, starting at the first verse of the Bible. Remember we said last week, Bereshit bara Elohim et hashemayim be'et ha'aretz. In the beginning, Bereshit bara Elohim, God created et hashemayim, the heavens, ve and et ha'aretz, the earth. And we said that that word bara, it seems like in Hebrew it should have been barim. Because when you're talking about more than one, it's supposed to be barim. It shows that more than one person created the heavens and the earth. But then it said Elohim, and with that im on the end, that means that that's a plural type ending for masculine nouns in Hebrew. So you would expect it to say bereshit bara. You expect it to say Bereshit Barim Elohim, but it says Bereshit Bara Elohim. And bara is for past tense, third person, singular. So it's got a plural ending on the name Elohim, but then it's got a singular verb that would be used for only like He created instead of multiple people created. So already right there in the very first verse of the Bible, there's a mystery about God that is starting to be revealed. And now we go all the way up to chapter 1, verse 26, and we see some more about that mystery. It says, let us, then God said, let us make man in our own image. Let us make man in our own image. What's that about? Well, Rashi, the commentator that we talked about who lived back in 1040 to 1105 A.D., saw that there was a problem when Jewish scholars would debate Christian scholars because the Christians had a point. 
they were saying, God said, let us make man in our own image. And that seemed to support the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit theology. And so Rashi said, well, we got to do something about this. So he came up with another interpretation of chapter 1, verse 26. And he said, in the Chumash, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, it got Jewish commentary alongside the verses, Rashi gave a brief description and commentary on verse 26. And he put the commentary out, but it really didn't answer the question about what that verse meant. In fact, it really opened up so many other questions that people were confused. Rashi said that God wasn't talking to the other parts of God, that he was talking to the angels when he said, let us make man in our own image. Rashi went on to say, here's why. In any important endeavor, it's always wise to seek counsel from others before you do this major work that you're going to do. Well, of course, that sounds nice, but God doesn't need counsel from other people. Nor did he anywhere else in Genesis 1 ask for counsel as he created the heavens and the earth. He alone created them, it said, not needing help from anybody. So Rashi's interpretation does not even begin to stand up to the debate. First, God said, let us. But in verse 27, something interesting happened. Verse 26, he said, let us make man in our own image. If, like Rashi says, the Jewish commentator, the Jewish sage Rashi, if like Rashi says God was talking to the angels, then he has a problem only one verse later. Because if God said, let us make man in our own image, and he was talking to the angels, well, the very next verse says that God did it alone. That's what it says in the Hebrew, and we'll go through that. But even in the English, the translation is accurate as well. And it says, so the Lord God, He made man in His own image, in His likeness, in His image, He made man. Male and female, He created them. So, if God, like Rashi says, had been talking to the angels, then it's obvious as you read verse 27 and it seems that God is making man in his own image himself after he said to the angels, let us do it. Well, that's a problem. That would be a problem, right? It'd be the first time in Genesis 1 where God said something and said, let something happen, and it did not happen exactly as he said. It would have been an instance where God commanded the angels to help him create man, but they somehow refused. It would have been rebellion in heaven by the angels unless the let us that God said was not being spoken to angels, but rather to the other persons in the Godhead. Remember the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit speaking together planning together to create man in their own image. That's what the very next verse, verse 27, shows us. We're going to cover it in Hebrew. It says in English, though, first, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now let's look at the Hebrew itself in verse 27. 
It says in verse 27, in the Hebrew, Vaivra Elohim et ha'adam beitzalmo beitzalim Elohim bara'oto. In other words, it says, and God himself, one person, God, Elohim, <laughs> there that plural ending used with the singular verb again, Vaivra Elohim et ha'adam, and God created the man, ha, the, adam, man. That's how Hebrew says man. You would pronounce it in English as Adam. But Adam is how the Jewish people pronounce it. And guess what? Since later we're going to see in verse 7 that God forms man a body from the dust of the earth, He calls man Adam. Well, why is that important, Pastor Stephen? Because Adama, the word that it comes from, Adam comes from Adama. Adama is dirt in Hebrew. It's dirt. And so Adam, Adam, the man coming from the dirt, is called Adam because he came from the Adama, you see. And so he says then, Beitzalmo, that he created man, Beitzalmo, that God created man, Beitzalmo. Now that is in his image. Salum is photograph. That's the word that we use for a photograph today in modern Hebrew. Beit Salmo is the version of that word that we use with that O on the end, the Mo on the end, to say His image. It's the exact image of God. God has eternal spirit. We were created in His image with eternal spirit. Beit Salim, in His likeness, Elohim bara oto. Again, all together, the Hebrew in verse 27. Vaivra Elohim et ha'adam, beitzalmo, beitzalim, Elohim bara oto. In the image of God, in the likeness of God, He created him. So you see, nowhere are angels mentioned helping God create man, like Rashi was suggesting. He knew that most of the people, most of the Christians would not be reading Hebrew. And he said that. But even his own people, even students of the Tanakh, of the Torah, had questions about it. Some of them were saying, well, that's how you answer the Christians. But what are you going to answer to us? Because obviously that wasn't enough. Do you have some more answer for us? There was no more answer. This is what stayed in the Chumash, the Jewish commentary of Genesis and the other four books in the Torah. This is what stayed. But if the angels had been who Rashi was talking about, that God was speaking to, then verse 27 would not have said that God by Himself created man in His own image. And it said over and over again, if you look at the words, then Bevra, some person by themselves, Elohim, that's who it is that created, et ha'adam, the man, Beitzalmo, in his image. He didn't say Beitzalmo, uh, he didn't say in their image, he said Beitzalmo, in his image. Well, before, if what Rashi was saying was true, uh, Rashi was saying God said to the angels, let us create man in our image. But now we see that God created man in his image. Why didn't he say 
that he created man in their image. Speaking of the angels in him. The reason is, it's because he wasn't speaking to the angels. He was speaking to the other members of the Godhead. And then, as God did it, since God is one, it uses singular verbs. And it says, created man in his image, one person. In the image of God, he, one person, created, verb for one person doing the action, man or him. So the Hebrew in verse 27 shows us that indeed God was not speaking to the angels when he said, let us create man in our image, but he was speaking to himself. And, to, and the Hebrew proves this once again using the single past tense verb bara instead of the common word barim that would have been used if more than one person created man. Again, the wording shows us the unique nature of God how He is far above all that we can understand or comprehend. He's God. He's higher than man. Higher than, above, higher than the heavens are above the earth. That's how high God is above man. Existing in a way that our minds can't comprehend. Our minds can't relate to. You can't wrap your mind around that. God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit... One God, but eternally existing somehow in three persons. You see, God didn't need help with creating the universe. So why would he ask help in creating man? No, God didn't need help from anyone in creating man. But sometimes people will twist the scripture to try to support their own doctrines instead of letting the word of God correct and refine their doctrines to be accurate. And that's what happened here. Evolution also is part of our discussion today. The second part of what I want to talk to you about is evolution versus creation. Evolution has a time problem. And we're going to do a little bit of math, but don't worry. I'll do the math for you. And you can read this over and over again. You can look at it over and over again on our website. You could take out your calculator. You could test my numbers and see if they're true. That's fine. I came from a scientific background. I'm used to working with these numbers. Now the creation versus evolution part that we're going to talk about, in that scientists say that greater than 10 to the 400th power 10 to the 400th combinations would have to be randomly tried from the beginning of time and tested before even the simplest substance used as a building block in living creatures could exist, could accidentally or by chance come together somehow. It says that you would have to have as many as 10 to the 400th combination. That's a 10 followed by 400 zeros. That's a lot. That's a lot. I've heard that there are possibly only 10 to the 39th atoms in the entire universe. And you could put millions of atoms on the point of a pen. That's 10 to the 39th. 10 to the 400th, as we said last week, is absurd. Even mathematicians will tell you that anything that requires more than 10 to the 100th, a 10 with 100 zeros after it, is considered to be a mathematical absurdity. They'll laugh at you when you talk about those kinds of numbers. 
because no one will ever see anything like that. Some people buy lotto tickets for the lottery. And your chances of winning the lottery may be 1 in 2 million or 1 in 10 million in some lotteries. But that's only a 1 with 6 zeros after it or a 10 with 6 zeros after it. That's how many tickets you would have to buy to have the chance of just getting one winner. I know we've all heard of people who bought one and, and they were winning, but think of how many millions of other people bought those tickets and did not win. So you see the numbers still hold true. Your chances are only one in two million or one in ten million for some lotteries to win that prize. Well here, we're talking about chances that say one in a number that is ten with four hundred zeros after it. That's how many times they would have to try random accidents in chemistry and in the earth, the atmosphere and lightning sparks and all the things that they talk about. That's how many times they would have to try a new iteration of an evolutionary change before they made something that actually worked as a living block, as a, as a building block for a living system. Even the smallest Single protein has never, never, ever been created yet. Oh, we have amino acids, and those are used in proteins, but guess what? Those are not living. Those are just regular materials. They're building materials, if you will, and they're all over the place. Not only on the earth, they're all over the, the uh, asteroids, the planets, they're, they're all over meteors that have come across space to earth and we can see that amino acids are there, they're all over the place. And just because a protein, the single smallest building block of human beings, can be utilizing amino acids in its structure, doesn't mean that amino acids are living. I utilize Cheerios about once every two days. I get a bowl out from the cabinet. I get some nice cold milk out. I pour that bowl full of Cheerios. I get a big spoon because the little spoons are not big enough. And I pour that cold milk in there and I find a quiet place with my cup of coffee and my bowl of Cheerios. And I utilize those Cheerios. And they're giving me strength and they're giving me the energy to go on through the day until it's lunchtime or whatever comes next. But they're not living. They're just little round donut-like things that happen to taste good in milk. They're not living just because they're part of my body after that and they've helped me in my living doesn't mean they are living. It's the same way with amino acids. They're not living. They're just used as building materials to help build the smallest part of living beings. And so science has been able to produce in a test tube little amino acids by putting things together. And then you find out that some schools have even said, oh, that experiment proved that man can produce life in a test tube. It did no such thing. It did not do that. It produced some building materials that are common throughout the earth, in fact, the universe. It did not create any living tissue of any living organism at all. But if you were to take 
even the 13.2 billion years that some scientists say is the age of the universe, and you were to somehow try a new combination of changes in something a million times a second, that's absurd. You could never do that. The changes take years and tens and hundreds of years sometimes. But let's just be crazy about this. If you could do changes a million times a second for 13 billion years, you still would not have enough time to randomly arrive at even the simplest building block of life, the protein. And our lives are consisting of proteins in abundance and DNA molecules. And the proteins are the building blocks for all of the parts of our body that we have. The brain, the head, the eyeballs, the nose, the hands, the arms, the lungs, the liver, the kidneys. All of these parts of our body are built from structures of proteins which have never, ever been created, ever been created in test tubes or in the best science labs in the world. And yet proteins use those amino acids in part of their structure just like we use Cheerios in part of our structure. There's 3,600 seconds in each hour. Oh, hang in there. I'll get past these numbers real quickly. But right now I just want you to hear them. There's 3,600 seconds in each and every hour. Go ahead. Uh, we'll start right now. Ready? And you count them, okay? Start. Go. No, just kidding. Take my word for it. There's 3,600 seconds in each and every hour. There's 24 hours in each day. And forgive my scientific background, but there are 365.242 days in each year. Now that means, if you do the math, and you've got to turn your smartphone sideways to get these kinds of numbers, there are 31,556,908 seconds in a single year. When you multiply that 3,600 seconds in one hour by the 24 hours in one day, by 365.242 days per year, you come up with 31,556,908 seconds in a year. Go ahead, double check me. Get back with me when you're done. When you multiply that number and you come up with that 31 million number, that's only for one year. What would it be for 13.2 billion years each year having seconds of 31,556,908 seconds in that year? 13.2 billion times 31 million 556,908. You get it? You got the answer yet? It's probably because your calculator cannot even calculate numbers that high. They say that the universe is 13.2 billion years old. Science says that's the age of the universe. You would have a number that started with a 4.17 followed by 17 zeros after it. That's how many seconds you would have in 32, I'm sorry, in 13.2 billion years. A 4.17 followed by 17 zeros. That's how many seconds. But remember, I said, what if we just really got crazy and said to the evolutionary biologist, okay, I'll give you 1 million changes per second for 13.2 billion years. 
then that number becomes 4.17 with 23 zeros after it. That's how many seconds it would take. That's how many iterations that you would be able to make in 13.2 billion years if you made 1 million iterations trying to evolve something to a higher level of complexity to even the tiniest living form or part of a living cell. 13.2 billion years, a million iterations every second, a million attempts every second to find the smallest part of a living organism. And even after 13.2 billion years, doing a million times a second, you would not have found it. In fact, scientists say you would need to do that for one with 400 zeros following it. Not one, not one with 23 zeros after it, but one with 400 zeros after it to even have a single chance, the slightest chance, to make the smallest building block of even a single cell organism. And you look at our bodies consisting of billions of sophisticated cells and thoughts in our brain, and you're saying that we evolved this way after 13.2 billion years? You better take that math back to the drawing board. There's no way. And in fact, with what we know in modern science today, all those arguments have been answered. And even the evolutionary biologists are saying, well, you're right. Given the time constraints that we have and being here on this earth, it looks like it could have never happened that way. So now they're saying, so we must have come from space. Oh, come on. Get real. Why don't you state the obvious? You have more faith in your theories far more faith in your theories, your bogus theories, than it would take to believe in God creating everything that exists. So as you can see, given what we know in science today, evolution is not the Bible answer to explain the creation of man. There's so many things that we could be talking about. The 1952 Stanley Miller and Harold Urey experiment at the University of Chicago and later at the University of San Diego where they put methane, ammonia, hydrogen, and, ox and um, water in, in a closed flask system and introduced a spark to kind of simulate lightning. And they made some goo in the bottom of it and they looked at them and they go, oh my goodness, we've made amino acids. And some people thought they were saying, we've made life in a test tube. But just like I just said and explained, amino acids are not life. They're just building blocks. They're Cheerios. So you see, even in textbooks in college today, there are textbooks that try to convince the students that life has been made in a test tube as a result of that 1952 soup and spark experiment that Stanley Miller and Harold Urey did at the University of Chicago in San Diego. They're trying to teach these students that life has already been created in a test tube. You just tell them the next time you see them, that's not so. They just made Cheerios. They just made the building blocks of the smallest life system. And while amino acids are elements used in the building of proteins, the amino acids themselves are not living. Like we said, they're simply 
the building materials. Now, we're going to go on and we're going to talk about something else now. Chapter 2, verse 7 goes on to say at the end of this all that God not only created man in his own image, eternal spirit, that is, but he also gave man a physical body to live in as well. He formed man from the dust of the ground. That's why I said we're a hybrid. We, we've got this dual nature. We've got eternal spirit on the inside. We've got a body on the outside. Spirit knows no limits. The Spirit can live forever if you believe on the Son of God whom God sent. Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. You will be allowed in the kingdom of heaven, which is an eternal place where people who live everlasting life go to live that life with things you cannot possibly imagine, wonders that you cannot possibly comprehend. No more sickness, no more pain, no more death, no more crying, no more limitations like this body here on earth has. And you will spend eternity in a place that people only dream of, a place with unlimited wonders of God showing you the wonders of His creation and the faithfulness and wonders of His love. So as we see and consider the evidence today that man could not have come from any primordial soup or from the goo through the zoo to you, he could not have come by some freak accident of nature or any number of accidental recombinations of basic elements. What we're left with is that man was the creation of, that resulted from the combination of expert scientific knowledge expert biological know-how, expert atmospheric expertise, expert design, expert planning, expert engineering, expert physics. In other words, man is no accident. He was created and placed here by a creator, an intelligent creator that's all-powerful and all-wise and all-knowing. And that creator that made man is God the maker of heaven and earth, just as the book of Genesis in chapter 1 reports. And that means that you were created by the Creator, put here for a reason. You have a noble purpose in life. You're not some accident of nature. You're not an animal that got lucky and learned to speak, learned to wear clothes, learned to drive cars. You didn't learn to, op you learned to operate a computer. Animals don't do that. You, you learn not only to operate it, but you learn to design it as well. And man is capable of designing spacecraft that go hundreds of millions of miles from Earth and explore new worlds in space. Mankind is capable of reasoning, of thinking, complex thoughts and of looking up and noticing creation, the universe and the Word of God has formed all of that. You're capable of seeking God, the Creator, the Creator of all of these things. You're capable of seeking the Creator who lovingly formed you in your mother's womb and you're capable of seeking and knowing Him, of knowing God. Now next week, as I said, we'll talk about the Shabbat or the seventh day and we'll go on through chapter 2. When God rested from His work, by the way, that's not because He was tired. That was because He was finished. I can't wait to talk to you next week. 
And what it means for us today, we'll talk about resting in God and the Shabbat that He has for us. And we'll go from there into the rest of Genesis 2. You don't want to miss our service next week. Why don't you give your life to God today, right now? If you call out to Him, He'll hear that cry and He'll answer you. He'll rescue you from that darkness. And He'll shine His light on your heart. You'll be given newness of life. He'll change you into a new person. And He'll throw all that bad history away. And you'll be made completely new, given a new start. And He'll give you everlasting life in heaven. That's guaranteed by God Himself. That's His promise to you. We want to give you an opportunity to believe in Jesus as the Messiah and Lord and to receive God's peace in your life. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. Pray something like this. Just repeat after me. Say, God, I do want to know you and have real peace in life. I believe on your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Please forgive me all my sins, and I give my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, God heard you. He's already started working in your life. A little seed's been planted deep in your heart. Over time, you'll begin to see the wonderful changes that God's making in your life, in your heart. Get at a good Bible-based church. Learn about Him and His Word, and talk to Him every day in prayer. He's going to do wonderful things in your life 